Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. first episode of Keep It Real, our bonus series where we interview your favorite reality celebrities from the Housewives, competition shows, and more. This will be an ongoing series with new episodes dropping semi-regularly on Fridays. And since we're getting new episodes of The Real Housewives of OC, Atlanta, Salt Lake City, and New York this week, it was the perfect opportunity for me to kick things off with an interview with The Real Housewives of New York's Jessel Tank. Okay, let me tell you about Jessel first, too, before we even get into the interview. She started out so polarizing, and she is now a fan favorite to some. Uh, I am really enjoying her on the show. I think this will be a fun conversation. And also, literally, I ran into her at dinner last week at Holiday Bar, um, one of my favorite places in New York. And I was walking, and she was like, Ira, is that you? Uh, as she was so sweet in person. So uh, this is another person on Bravo who has a very fun personality in person, uh, which sort of matches their personality on the show. She's just very funny and British and dry. So coming up, I have an interview with Jessel Tank, and then also Lewis joins me for an AMA on reality show questions. We'll be right back. So she is the emerging icon of the revamped Real Housewives of New York City. She's also a fashion publicist who's worked with everyone from Michael Kors to Louis Vuitton and Vogue. And now she's in the midst of launching her first ever fashion consultancy, The Know. It is Jessel Tank. Hi, Ira. So good to speak with you today. I know. It's good to talk to you. I said emerging icon and I meant it. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Have you sensed a shift in like the online conversation since pre-show to the first episode with people just getting a taste of you to now six episodes in how people are, um, you know, responding to you online? Yeah. I, in fact, I think I've probably been one of the most polarizing um, you know, girls from, 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 from the show, because I, you know, everyone was obviously very excited, um, at the fact that I, you know, this cast is so diverse, right? Like, and that was mm -hmm. the announcement and it was this like sort of snapshot of what this, you know, New York city, modern day female that represents such like a multicultural, you know, space looks like. And visually, if you look at our BravoCon sort of like announcement, it was so exciting. And I think everyone was really, um, really on board with it. Then episode one drops. <laughs> and I got 
it. I got I got the worst of it because, um, you know, I think I was like cleaning or something. And I turn into my worst self when I'm cleaning. I'm like, get out of my way. I am not your friend when I'm, you know, sort of like doing my household stuff. Um, and I think that the response was, um, you know, I think a, a lot of people were like, oh, God, she's this like rude British, like Indian girl that's like not very nice. Right. And that was like the first impression of me. And now we're almost you know, seven episodes in or six episodes in. And I think that people are really starting to get to know me. I have a very dry sense of humor. I'm very sarcastic. Um, nothing I say is ever serious. It's always taken with a pinch of salt. could be taken with a pinch of salt. Um, and, you know, there's just like, you can't really know someone um, in three or four minutes of seeing them. I, I, I hope that, um, you know, who I am and, and what I bring to the show is starting to, to come through. Yeah. I mean, I have really been enjoying you and I feel like, you know, people who are writing about the show, um, besides myself, you know, um, one of my friends, JP Brammer does, um, a recap of the show as well. I think people are, yeah, people are enjoying, you know, uh, and we, we've getting that sense of humor, um, in the sense of, you know, take everything with a pinch of salt. Like, I guess let's talk about the Tribeca moment that is... (laughs) You know, one of the funniest moments of the series so far, you're having dinner, you're having, sorry, you're having coffee with Aaron on the show, and you call Tribeca up and coming. So what was your intent in that? Because I could see where you might be coming from, but I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, and honestly, it was so innocent in the moment, and I was like, after I said it and I saw her face, I was like, oh my God, well, up and coming, first of all, was definitely not the right phrase or the right term to use. Um, <laughs> I definitely know that Tribeca is not up and coming. I mean, it is definitely one of the most expensive zip codes in the city. Um, as I was walking to that coffee and look, like we're not going to have a fun, co- I mean, this wasn't like best friends catching up. Like, I think there was a lot of tension between Aaron and I, and you can sense that. And I don't like confrontation. I'm probably, you know, not the right person um, to <laughs> to be a part of it. But like, I just, I get nervous. And I was just like, oh, like not really feeling myself anyway. So that was to set the tone. But as I was walking to that coffee, I was like, oh, this is a new restaurant and this is a new cafe. And um, one of the, the places I actually was at last night, it was this Indian spot that was amazing. Um, so I was just mm. like noticing all these new places that were popping up that I'd never seen before. Um, and that was what was stuck in my head. So when I was like, oh, this is such a cute neighborhood. It's so up and coming. I was just talking about the social scene that, you know, I mm-hmm. think that a lot of um, a lot of new restaurants were 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 being seen and that's all I meant. I, I wasn't trying to shade her in any way. Um, but it, it was funny in hindsight. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's funny in hindsight just because, you know, as someone who lives in New York and knows yeah. obviously, you know, <laughs> Tribeca is expensive, you know, like Upper East Side as well. But even the Upper East Side, you know, it has, you know, um, it has stalwarts there, you know. There's re- restaurants there that people go to, and wow. as you know, moneyed as the Upper East Side is, it doesn't close at like 8 p.m. How I no. feel Tribeca does, you know. Tribeca is a chic zip code to live in, but I don't think I would ever go out in Tribeca. Yeah, it's not really that like bar, like you know, when you walk in like through Tribeca at night, it's very much like a a civilized restaurant scene. 
Um, and, you know, people do dinner and I feel like they kind of go home and it's very residential. Obviously, there's like, you know, tons of young families that live there. And um, it's interesting because it definitely opened um, up this conversation for debate. I mean, I started something that I didn't know I did, first of all, but it was very interesting to see the different views. Um, and look, like, I, I also have to say, I've lived in, you know, I've obviously brought up in London. I've lived in New York for almost, you know, however many years. And I've also lived in LA. And so I've kind of gotten this, like, very diverse, like, view of, of what different neighborhoods have to offer. And to me, mm-hmm. I do think that, Tribeca, yes, it's one of the most expensive zip codes, but it definitely is still flourishing, right? And it's still very much like has um, the the potential to to have you know some big name places, and you know it's it, it, it's it's young money that's coming into that um, to that neighborhood, and it's going to continue to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, how, well, you said however many years, and you just had you know that thing on Instagram on what was the comments by Bravo of the accusation that you moved to New York for the show. No, it's it's so funny because um, like when I read things like that, I really just it's it, I just take it with a pinch of salt. Like it's so hilarious to me. I moved to New York. I mean, really, my first foray into like independence as an adult was was moving to New York. Um, and I always had this this thing that I could be anything I wanted. And, and I knew New York was a place to to do that. So I, fresh out of college, I moved to New York. I think I was 22 or 23 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 2006, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, I met my husband here. Um, this is where I started my career. This is where some of my best friends live. Like my, my network and my community has always... Um, been here and it's always you know outside of London been home for me Um, it's Mm -hmm. really where I found myself um, and it's such a to me like such a powerful um, city because you can come to New York and have this it's really the the American dream right like that's what New York stands for to me and Mm -hmm. um, and that's really why I wanted to come here and how I've grown as as a as a person so yeah, I didn't come yeah. here just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so exciting. Like, I also want to say, Ira, like I we're we're all we we have been by coastal. I mean, my husband's from LA. We moved back to LA mm-hmm. when we got married. Um, so I think, you know, my presence in New York is maybe not it's always been a base for us, but it's maybe not like we do move around a lot. Like I think during COVID, we lived in Mexico for six months, you know. We have mm-hmm. that ability to just kind of up and leave. Now that we have kids, however, we don't have that luxury as much. Um, and so, you know, we are very much like here. But um, before, we were just like hopping around all over the place. It's so easy, right? Yeah, I feel I feel like that is sort of the idea of the modern New Yorker anyway. I was just talking with um, a friend of mine, um, Evan Klein, about this, about how he said, he feels like a lot of people, depending on your job, when you're living in New York, you spend less time in the city. You know, you are hanging out with your friends throughout the year, you're working, but then like as summer approaches, it's very much, well, Jessel's not in town, or like Ira's not in town, like they're traveling, they're doing something else. I actually did move to New York around the same time as you did out of college, and then 
I lived in LA for about 12 years and I've only recently come back. So I want to ask, as someone who lived in New York around that period and now you are back in New York, um, what are some of your favorite neighborhoods here then? What is what is the essence of New York to you? Where do you like to dine or where do you like to shop in the city? Yeah. I mean, um, if we're comparing 2006 to now, I think I lived in meatpacking in 2006. There was this club called Air. And I just remember, like, I was young. I was single. I was so excited, like, not to be living at home anymore. And um, I think I lived in meatpacking. And also meatpacking, do you remember those huge nightclubs, like Bed mm-hmm. and, like, Tenju? I mean, there are so many of those. That I don't. I mean, I Sex don't in know. the City back then. Yeah. Samantha moved to meatpacking, yeah. and she called it up and coming. Exactly. <laughs> that out. Um, <laughs> it was. It was really. It was a very different experience back then. You know, like, I think New York has evolved so much, and now you're sort of seeing more of like a private club scene and like the lounges, and it's very much more like you know. I for me, my my social life has has dwindled, unfortunately, like now that I have kids. But, you know, I like to have a nice dinner and we love to explore every, you know, aspect and every element of the city. I think that the one thing I love about New York is that you can go 20 blocks north, you know, and and have this Mm -hmm. very different experience to going 20 blocks south, you know. Um, And so that's what I love. It's just so much, there's so much to offer. Um, Where do we love to go? I mean, Man, we, I am a big like eater, like New York Mm -hmm. follower. And so, you know, they release every month, like the top, you know, 10 restaurants. And I'm always, Puppet and I make it a point to like try to hit some of those like, you know, hotspots every month. Um, And then the New York Times list, I think it's like yearly, but that list is amazing. And I think um, Eleven Madison has been like top of that list for quite some time, which I haven't been to actually since. since God, like years now, but I, I want to check it mm-hmm. out because I have it's revamped. Um, but Pavit, he just released. Um, oh, I mean, I think you saw in the last episode, Street Food. the Fried Chicken Committee. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he is that guy loves to just walk around, and he'll he has a knack for like identifying these small vendors or these small places. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when we first started dating. Tyam and West Village, um, the falafel, they all, all they did was falafel sandwiches. And we went there in the line with like, you know, be so long. Um, but he identified that place and it was the best falafel at the time. Like it was so good. Um, but he has a knack for it, like getting into the, all these like small, small business owners that are doing these amazing, you know, things. And we love to support that too. And I think that's the, the best thing about New York as well. It's like you have these big machine restaurants that are getting all this, you know, clout, but then you also have these small mom and mom and pop like places that are, you know, some of the best food that New York has to offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so funny that he's also become sort of a star over the past few episodes. Uh, You started out the season talking with the ladies, you know, about um, your postpartum journey and your sex life. And now Pavit is appearing in the show more, and you are seeing more of your interactions now. How has he taken, one, you know, just having, you know, your intimate life discussed on the show, and then also, 
now having it not just discussed on the show, but you know, you'll have Jeff Lewis or someone commenting on it on Watch What Happens Live. And that's something that's going to continue to happen with other people who are just part of the Bravo sphere or might maybe some celebrity guest in the future. It's always going to be up for conversation now. Yeah. Um, first of all, like I think, and I, I don't regret, by the way, talking about this stuff because a, I think it's really important too. And I think a lot of people don't because of what happened and what you see, how you see that response towards me being open about it. I think a lot of people are afraid because they're, you know, you are opening yourself up to, to critique. And I think it's not necessarily like, this shouldn't be the way that, you know, we, we deal with this stuff. Like, to automatically jump to a conclusion that your husband's not into you, Jeff Lewis. Um, for the record, he is. Um, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's like not, it's just like a not, it's not a very nice thing. It, you shouldn't really go there without really understanding, like, you know, and hopefully some of my story comes out a little bit more, but um, it was a tough time, you know, and I think we have to normalize those conversations and, and make women comfortable enough to, to speak about their experiences and, and some of what that, you know, what that is, um, going to, you know, having a baby, trying to have a baby and then eventually having a baby, those, those moments are not easy. Um, and I was very, very vocal about what I went through because, I don't think that um, I don't think that women should be silenced if they're feeling a certain way. You know, I agree. And um, speaking of your relationship with your husband, you talked a lot this past week about applying to avenues, which <laughs> is also another polarizing thing. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's really funny because, uh, I think for me, it's very much a cultural thing. Um, my parents place so much emphasis on education and I, by the way, I say cultural Indian. I mean, that's just how I was raised. Like it was all about like education, education, education. And I'm sure everyone can relate to that because everyone's parents just want the best for their kids. Um, and the one thing that you can't ever take away is your educational accolades. And so there was so much um, emphasis put on that when I was growing up. And now I sort of see myself doing it to my kids. And it's um, it's really just um, a generational like thing. I actually never thought I would be that way. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. they can do it um, but here I am, like, you know, rallying for, for the for the best education. And look, I would not never put a price tag on my kids' education. I, I think that, you know, um, it's really, and I, I do stand by it, like, you know, it's really the kickstart to, to this journey for them. And um, I, I find it very important, you know, like, I want to make sure that they have the right, the right start. So, um, mm-hmm. but Puppet did win, by the way, I just want to state, he, he okay. doesn't. He doesn't often win, but he won that one. <laughs> and, um, they are starting school in a couple of weeks, and we're really excited. But, um, yeah, it wasn't with that price tag, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, however, however you want to see it. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of even discussing your relationship so much on the show, um, you've been so honest about the state of your marriage. Do you find it... Um, Fair, I would ask, maybe that, you know, some of your other castmates, like Jenna, perhaps, uh, don't share as much of their personal relationships on the show, particularly since that seems to be the job. 
Yeah, um, I think each to their own. Um, I know Jenna, in specifically speaking about her, she obviously has a very unique situation um, in which, Mm -hmm. you know, I think her experience about historically being open about her relationship and her, you know, her her status in that way wasn't necessarily the best. Um, I think to have someone, and she says it like the New York Post out you, I mean, that in itself, that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, It wasn't done on her terms. And I think that that experience for her has really, you know, kind of um, affected how she deals with speaking and being so public about her private life, you know, and I can respect that. I certainly don't hold it against her. I think that if she's, she wants to be open, you know, she knows that she can be um, vulnerable to us and, and that we would receive it in the, in only the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that working in PR has given you yourself sort of an upper hand in strategizing your role on Roni? I honestly think I, it would have, but I don't think it did. Um, <laughs> I really you go into this process and this experience and you're like, I'm going to be X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to be this person. And this is what I'm going to say. And this is what I'm not going to say. And it just kind of all goes out the window because I think you're seeing yourself as as an individual, but then you're sort of thrown into this dynamic of other women and other personalities. And um, you just can't, you can't control the narrative. And I, I really, the, the one thing, I think the one learning um, key learning that I would take out of this is that um, everyone just should be their authentic self. And I do feel like I was. I mean, I was very open and honest about the reality of what I was going through at the time. And yeah, it might not have been, you know, um, the most, I guess, you know, glamorous one. But at the end of the day, like I did go through a shit ton of stuff. And, um, you know, you hope that you're received one way and and I wasn't. So, but I don't regret Mm -hmm. it, you know. You share so much on the show that when it does get edited down, um, you know, you you were seeing one way um, that you're seen on the show and you're also saying like, oh, maybe there were other moments that were left out. Were there moments so far that have surprised you in rewatching the episodes where you're like, oh, I'm interested that this ended up in here? Yeah, I think for me, it's um, the opposite. It was mm. what end up being shown. Mm. And so it's like this art of, um, what do you say when, when it's like a magic show and like you, you don't see. Like, slide of the hand. Slide of the hand. Yes. There were so many of those. Um, and I think the, the one thing that stuck out to me and, and really sort of shaped how people saw me was um, when Jenna gifted me the lingerie. And um, <laughs> my reaction was obviously like, not, you know, I'm not, not proud of how I reacted. I, I, I really respect her. She's super generous and she absolutely did not have to give everyone a gift. Um, but my reaction to that was, was not, um, was not as it should have been. And I would never have acted like that. I don't know why I did in the moment, but I did recognize it. And, you know, we had a really nice conversation, um, the day of, um, the sushi dinner actually in the Hamptons. And I apologized. I wrote her a handwritten note and, you know, I, I really, truly felt awful, but you didn't see that, right? So mm-hmm. to the audience, I'm rude, I'm ungrateful, and I'm not taking accountability. And those things, like, 
it's tough because I know that I did take accountability. I did apologize profusely. And um, I did, I mean, she, I was so grateful. So yeah, it's, it, it was, it's tough, you know, when you, when you know that you did things to rectify a course and that's not shown and it's just like you're playing defense in that, you know, in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, speaking of even the editing of the show, I mean, you also filmed at least, I don't know how much you filmed with Lizzie Savetsky at first when she was included in the series. Uh, was there a shift in, I guess, how the story was going and how the show was being presented and all of you interacting uh, between the exit and now what we've seen? Because I feel like we start a bit with um, Catchgate or whatever about the restaurant and it feels like we're playing catch up a bit to some of you all meeting one another. We're playing catch to catch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Catch up to catch. Um, You know, I think Lizzie... um, We were so early on in filming Mm -hmm. um, that it didn't really change the course of of the story or of how we sort of kicked off. You know, Um, I I really don't know um, if it, you know, if it did. Yeah, I got to say it really was way too early to tell. Um, Mm -hmm. We, I think um, we had just, we had met for that initial catch moment um, and I, I think that we had just started filming like maybe a couple of weeks after that. So it was, while it did seem like there had been stuff that was happening, it wasn't really mm-hmm. too far off the mark. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I guess going into, you know, the second half of the season, um, what can we sort of expect that might be fun, um, coming up and, what would you say your sort of state of affairs is with all of the women now after filming? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you, the second half of the season, I know that the, the, the trailer just dropped yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and it is volcanic. I mean, I think, you know, you <laughs> on a girl's trip, and you put six women on an island in the Caribbean, <laughs> and shit's, about to get, you know, shit's naturally going to go down. Um, but... Look, I think that we all have our moments. And I think the one thing I would say about us is that we do recognize when conflict is is happening and we, we always find a resolution. And I think that's like a recurring theme through all of this is that like no matter what, we're always there for each other. We're friends at the end of the day. And we always, you know, find um, time to rectify um, the course of these relationships. Um after filming, we took a break. I mean, we needed, I think we all needed a hiatus from each other. It's like you're very intense, <laughs> you know, um, but we're great. Look, I think everyone is um, going about their summer and um, we're, you know, we talk all the time. Um, we're always sharing, you know, different like articles and, and, you know, different pieces of things that are coming out in the media and social. And uh, it's, it's a very, very close knit unit that we have. Um, and I'm so gl- grateful for that because I think that if we weren't together in that way, um, this would be, it would make things 10 times harder than it should. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Ira. You're, you're such a pleasure to speak to. Oh, so are you. I mean, it's been, and it's been really fun seeing your journey on the season so far. And I can't Thank wait to see you. what else you have in store for us. Yeah, plenty more to come. <laughs> <laughs> take care. Great. Yeah, take care. 
All right, so I am here with Lewis, and we are doing another one of our AMAs, this time about reality TV shows. Mm. I've got some Bravo questions coming up in a bit, but Lewis is here for the non-Bravo questions first. Lewis, Jersey Shore was culture in the early 2000s. What other show do you think has had a gr- as great of an impact on our culture? Well, I'm always talking about this, but I think a good answer is Project Runway. And the reason is, before that show, you would never see before that on Big Brother a bunch of queer people being able to commune and plot and try to win the game. And Project Runway was the first show to acknowledge, actually, a bunch of different gay people who have the same exact job still can belong together on a show. They shouldn't just be one person. So I think Project Runway is my answer to that question. What's yours? Honestly, I would say... The real world. Oh, totally. I think, you know, obviously in the 90s, that was a different beast. But in the 2000s, the ones that we sort of got with that kicked off, you know, Hawaii and Vegas with Ruthie's alcoholism and then also Trishel's um, pregnancy scare. I think that was the shift when reality started becoming less oh here's these sort of like normal people hanging out together who have outsized personalities and obviously they were some of the same ilk of the reality show people we have now but i feel like being fame starved for being on reality tv in the 90s was very different from being fame starved to be on reality tv in the 2000s in 2000s you were willing to degrade yourself a little bit more to be on television it definitely got way more insane yeah 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 you had to hide those shows from your parents in a way from the in the 2000s in a way you didn't have to in the 90s even though there there always was sex the sex changed and became a lot more generally speaking graphic mm-hmm. next question do you think that we're in a dead zone when it comes to makeover shows is that even a kind of show that we can do anymore I do like Queer Eye from time to time particularly when they make over other queer people to me that got mm-hmm. over the hump of Is it weird that these queer people are serving as these saviors for straight people? To me, when we help each other out, the message becomes different. That becomes way more fun. I actually do have a makeover show I really like, but it's a house makeover show. It's called Dream Home Makeover. Mm. And it's this couple, Sid and Shay McGee. uh, And they are now people who, they have like a line at Target. You can buy like, you can shop Shay, you can shop Studio McGee. Um, What I like about this show is they just have a simple style. They really create a calm environment. It's not like when you utilize them to change your house, you're going to get like a purple fireplace or something crazy from um, trading spaces. It's nice to see people flip homes in a way where they're not trying to put a personal stamp on the home other than they're trying to create peace. That's it. Actually, Mm. Marie Kondo, I thought, had something going on in that regard, too. You know... I've always liked the whole makeover show. I think that something I would actually really enjoy would be a cooking one. And maybe there is some sort of version of it on Food Network. And if there is, let me know because I would love to watch it. But when the Queer Eye guys do that thing of helping someone cook, right? When Anthony comes in and does whatever he does, um, like the little Keebler elf magic. Yes. Um, 
I would love just, you know, like someone wanting to cook a dinner party or someone cook a dinner for like their um, spouse or something for an anniversary or something. Having like a chef come in and shop with them and show them ingredients and show them like why these are the best for something like that. I think that that's something that would be fun too. Something that would be helpful for that person and also helpful for the audience, but also something that's not making the person feel like they're an idiot for, you know, not knowing how to dice onions. Also, that's a show... I would specifically benefit from. I am on square Mm -hmm. one on this stuff. I don't know where to begin. So I think there's a lot of potential in that regard. I don't know why we haven't seen shows like that. That is surprising to me. Well, if we don't have it, we're currently on strike. So Lewis and I would love to make a reality show. And I would love to make chicken tetrazzini or whatever you can. Is that like a dish? I have no (laughs) idea. You have to tell me. (laughs) Wait, what show was that 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 came from? Was it Maury? Was it Maury? Or it's like talking about... We're talking about like she was with some man, some woman's man. It's talking about like he loves my chicken tetrazzini. <laughs> Which, by the way, just means four cheese. F- fancy word for four <laughs> cheese. <laughs> oh, I think this is a good question. Who in the history of competition shows has been the best judge and why? You, you know who I'm going to pick? Mary Murphy from So You Think You Can Dance. Who, first mm. of all, after a performance was over, she would whoop and holler and basically you know, act like the person shooting the t-shirt gun at stadium events, get everybody excited for what they just saw, and then, not even flinching, go into a very specific monologue of criticisms and compliments and get into the specifics of the dancing. Just, that is such a hard thing to do, to keep it that concise, to actually say something of meaning while moving the show along, and of course it's live. Uh, I think she is extremely underrated. I love Mary Murphy and So You Think You Can Dance. You know what? I think I'm going to take it to Top Chef and say that I really like Tom Colicchio. Uh-huh. I feel like, obviously, Padma is queen, uh, and she's left the show now, and I love Gail as well, but there's really just something about Tom and his connection with the other chefs, like him being chef himself and owning several restaurants, and just how he really is in that cooking world of you know like understanding like there are mistakes that can happen in the kitchen and like that might be a mistake that gets you sent home but he really does seem to be just a calming positive version of the like simon cowell or michael kors you know of those kinds of shows he's he's less biting than those people and more fostering Yes, he has the confidence of someone like a Gordon Ramsay and even a little bit of the intimidation factor, but it's, uh, which is good because you want the contestants to have like a bit of awe when it comes to the judges. But at the same time, he just is productive and professional. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a cool – he's like a rad guy. Yeah, I love him on those shows. Well – We talked about Project Runway recently on the show, and as the season is ending, do you still find the show relevant, even if the season was entertaining? uh, Yes, and I just want to say about this recent season, I can't believe how quick the finale went. They just went with a straight hour, and we barely got to see them whip this shit together, (laughs) and it was just like shocking. It was suddenly over. I'm surprised we didn't get a a two-part finale the way they used to do it. Um, Is it still relevant? I mean... I would compare it to, we talked about this before, The Price is Right, where if if I'm at home and it's on, I'm comforted, I want to watch it, it's a tried and true format, 
And Project Runway is similar. You can turn on any season and it's good. There's so much eye candy, first of all. And second of all, the personalities always hit. There's something about assured fashion designers that is eminently watchable. And like, you know, it's such a world far removed from ours that you're always, it always feels a bit journalistic too. Like you're learning something about this world. Mm -hmm. What do you think was the most brutal 2000s dating show? Oh God, a dating show. Well, Temptation Island comes to mind. And of course, <laughs> like all wonderful things, it's back. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's probably the answer. Oh, actually, I'm going to say next on next. MTV. <laughs> because first of all, who would ever sign up for this show where you could potentially step off a bus and before you've gotten off the bus, somebody basically yells ugly in your face and you're told to go away? <laughs> <laughs> like like literally best case scenario you end up on a date with this person and you've made or you've made $38 what do you make on this show like lunch say, money can I say that I feel like a lot of people would do that now though because not just people having a humiliation kink people have a sympathy uh, a need for sympathy because Ooh. you know you get off a bus and someone calls you ugly right how many times have you seen i feel like this just happened the other day how many times have you seen a very conventionally attractive or a hot person post a grinder message or dating app message where someone called them ugly and they post it online it's like can you believe they called me ugly and blocked me it's like okay well you're not. Your followers wouldn't agree that you're ugly. They mostly follow you because you're hot and you post shirtless photos all the time. So you're really just posting this so that you will get a slew of responses of people telling you that you're pretty. Victim. Right. So can't you imagine gays reposting their, oh, I got nexted immediately thing just for people to be like, oh, I wouldn't have nexted you, King. Tell me when you're in Australia soon. <laughs> Australia is at the heart of this matter, ultimately. <laughs> there are a lot of hot people in Australia that I'll never meet in my life. That's right. That's how the, that's how the world works. I'm not going down under. <laughs> Adelaide, I'll never see it. I think that there is a massive amount of hot oh, men in Australia. I'm, and I'm I'll never have the chance to meet them. A dingo might eat them before I meet them. I am picturing Judy Davis <laughs> looking at you as you do this, smoking and despairing. <laughs> okay, one more question, Lewis. Pick oh, one. okay. Uh, let's see. Have you met any reality stars that made you recalibrate your perception of them after their after your interaction with them? Maybe an example of both good and bad. <sighs> Bethany Frankel. She was on. Keep Remember it once. when she yes. terrorized us? Yes, we. I. I believe the question I asked her was, <laughs> "Um, you. You have so many famous friends. Like, who. Who are you surprised to find yourself in a friendship with? Just like, oh, you. You relate to this person. You only knew them as a celebrity before. Well, she basically. It turned into. She was naming celebrities so fast. It was like we didn't start the fire. I mean, it was like <laughs> flying off the hand. Every celebrity in sight, she named. Bono, Oprah, Lucy, Desi, yeah. Rick, <laughs> Lucy. <laughs> like, <laughs> Vivian just Vance. Dead people. Yes. <laughs> that just naming dead people, Bethany. <laughs> <laughs> Leave them alone. Yeah, that was, it was, it's a bit weird seeing her turn into the Joker. Yeah, right. No, her TikTok is bizarro. Yeah, so that I feel like that we were on the cusp of that. 
Well, I mean, she I will still say seemed like a sane person to book at that time. As everybody knows, I bring him up all the time. My friend Andy Heron won the show Big Brother in 2013. And, season uh, 16. 15. And, uh, oh. Yes, uh, he won season 15. And I met him the day after he won. I interviewed him for that. And he knew my then YouTube show and my Twitter a little bit, but I, I only Verbal knew him. Verbal voguing? That's right. Classic original recipe, Louis Fertel. Um <laughs> I met him afterwards, and on the show, he was sort of seemed like a wild card and a weirdo, and he is those things, but then he turned out to be awesome and a really good friend. So I guess he's somebody I met um, because of reality TV who I think um, proved you can be a person and, and that people on reality TV can care about normalcy and can care about um, you know maintaining friendships with who's rad and who's real and stuff, which is very paramount to him. Well, listen, we have an upcoming interview with... Uh... Polly Calfior, um, who's been on the challenge, he's been on Big Brother before right. too. And I think that, you know, you've seen a lot of his volatile behavior on Big Brother and then also on the challenge, some of those earlier seasons of his. And I met him at a challenge party because I'm friends with um Tyler Duckworth. And so I went with him to that. And I was expecting, like, you know, someone like him to be. I don't know as I was expecting. Yeah, like, I was right. just like, he's an asshole on TV. What's he going to be like in person? And he couldn't have been sweeter. Yeah, right. And that's when you realize that there are people, there, there really are people who are, when I'm on reality show, a reality show and I'm playing a character, I'm going to play a character. And then that's not me at all in person. And also, I don't want to say blame it on the edit, but it's like the producers do have to put a story together. So if you have yeah. a bunch of caustic moments, but they don't, you know, they're going to put all those on TV and that is going to create a perception of you. So just, you know, mm. it's a little bit of a da- danger zone in terms of what you could or should and shouldn't do on those given sh- on those shows. A top RuPaul song. You want to blame it on the edit. I would describe that as a mid-tier RuPaul song, but all right. Also, every drag queen I've met on Drag Race has been fucking hilarious. So, I mean, like yes. truly, none of them have bad personalities. I've really enjoyed everybody I've met. Even the ones who kind of maybe are cunts, they're, they're funny cuts in person. Right. You, drag obligates you to have a skill set, even casually yeah. when you're talking to people. So, Okay, it's called Charisma, Uniqueness, Nerve, and Talent. Imagine if they weren't cunt. Right. It's the if they a- weren't, they wouldn't be on the show. I need RuPaul to just point to a whiteboard that says cunt every once in a while to remind the girls. Yeah. Yes. Also, um, Simone and Gigi. Matt and they are like the two of my favorite people from. Oh my god! I always go to uh, this party in LA. Uh, It's like this cute little dance club right in the middle of town, and they're routinely there. Those girls bust it out. Yeah, yeah, constantly. It's like Madonna at Danceteria shit. I'm just like, whoa! Everybody, get out of their way. That plus, I feel like I appreciate drag queens who are just constantly slaying fashion and looks every time they step out somewhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that is great. Well. Lewis, we've kept it real, but now it's time for you to leave. I don't really have an exit yet. I've got it. Okay. Here it is. We've kept it real, and now we're keeping it from you. Goodbye. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> we'll workshop it. I work in television. <laughs> Not now. <laughs> Please give us a job again. I'm so bored. <laughs> I hear Drew Barrymore's hiring. <laughs> So that is our episode. Thank you to Jessel for being here. Uh, next week, we have another housewife joining, and I will be joined in an AMA 
with Kendra James to talk about Bravo and talk about Housewives, etc. So we're going to have a call for more questions, do an AMA this time, but it's going to be all Bravo related. So awaiting those questions. And thank you for listening to our first episode of Keep It Real. Can't wait to keep doing this. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolles for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs>